Democrats had big plans for this year's election. Not just for the presidency, but for Congress. They hoped to flip the Senate to Democratic control. Around the country, Democrats went after Senate Republicans they saw as vulnerable and poured record-shattering amounts of money into those races. But those plans have not paid off. Republicans have held onto seats in at least two key states. Four Senate races have still not been called. And right now, it looks like at least one race could go to a runoff. The plans are out the window. Right now, I'm still really shell-shocked because this is not the result that anybody anticipated. We are in for a major political realignment, possibly with a new president, Joe Biden, possibly with a Senate we didn't expect. And everybody is going to have to be ripping up their plans and making new ones. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, November 5th. Coming up on the show, where we are in the fight for control of the Senate. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. The race for president has been the top prize for Democrats, but the Senate is a close second. Democrats need to control the House, the Senate, and the White House to be able to enact their agenda. Every piece of the pipe through which a law gets enacted. And if one part of that pipe breaks, if it's not there, the entire legislative process is stalled. Siobhan Hughes has been closely following the Senate election results. The Senate is super important because in order to get a bill on the floor, your party must have power. Right now, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell controls every single thing that comes to the floor. He is not going to move a climate change bill. He did actually bring up a climate change bill, but it was only as a joke to give Democrats a hard time. He is not going to put a big COVID relief package on the floor. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi passed a major package back in May, and McConnell would not lift a finger to give everyone a chance to vote on it. So for Democrats to be able to get their bills on the Senate floor, they needed control of the Senate. Going into this week, how did they feel about their chances? Democrats went into this with near euphoria about taking the Senate. As 2020 progressed, as the pandemic hit and the economy crashed and things were looking terrible for Republicans, the Senate map expanded to the point that 14 seats were seen as competitive. And of those, 12 seats were held by Republicans. So Democrats had multiple avenues for victory. And were Republicans worried about losing control? 
when they had all of these seats that were vulnerable? I have to tell you, Republicans were worried about losing control. The public polling for them was terrible because Republicans were behind in a lot of these seats. And Republicans were worried that Donald Trump was going to drag them down. Republicans were worried that the poor economy would take a toll, that Democratic turnout would be enormous because Donald Trump discouraged his voters from using mail-in and absentee ballots. And Republicans' own private polling told them that things were just as bad as what the public polling suggested. Where were the seats that Democrats thought they had the best chances to win to flip the Senate? Arizona and Colorado. After that, there was another tranche of seats that Democrats thought were very gettable. Those were in Iowa, Maine, and North Carolina. In all of those seats, the Democrats saw very distinct vulnerabilities for each of the candidates, Susan Collins, Joni Ernst, and Tom Tillis. After that, though, there were whisper states, states where Democrats thought they really could flip the seats, even if they weren't quite as competitive. And those included, for example, Montana, even Texas, two seats in Georgia, and even Alaska, One other whisper state was South Carolina. National Democrats identified Lindsey Graham, the state's longtime senator, as potentially vulnerable. It was a really bold move for Democrats to think that South Carolina was within reach. But nonetheless, the public polling suggested they had a chance. The fact that the pandemic was hitting the state so hard suggested that Democrats had a chance. And who was the Democrat that ran against him? Jamie Harrison is a longtime player in Democratic Party politics. He was a chairman of South Carolina's Democratic Party. He had worked for the House Democratic whip, Jim Clyburn, as his floor guy. He is also African-American. And in a state in which roughly a quarter of the population is African-American, that suggested he had a built-in base from the get-go. Jamie Harrison, to a degree, tried to appeal to the Black base in South Carolina, but he did it in a savvy way, in a way that he hoped would also avoid alienating the white voters who he would also need to keep on board in his state. He's also somebody who had a very appealing personal story. He rose up from poverty to really make it to the big times and had been a lobbyist in Washington, D.C., too, with his Washington. Washington, D.C. connections. He was very, very well known by the National Party. He campaigned on something about Lindsey Graham, pointing to Lindsey Graham's hypocrisy. Things like saying that he would never confirm a Supreme Court justice if it were the final year of a Republican president's term, and then turning around and doing exactly that when the opportunity arose. And this was important because it had played into a long-standing impression Lindsey Graham had created that he had his finger in the wind and whichever ways the political winds were blowing, Lindsey Graham would head in that direction. How did Harrison know that the Democratic campaign had a shot? The polls. The public polls that 
came in started to really break Jamie Harrison's way. And the first time one of these polls came out, everybody was shocked and didn't believe it. And I remember talking to Lindsey Graham, who said the poll was simply wrong, the sample had gotten wrong. But then more and more polls started coming in showing the exact same thing. With such promising polling, Democrats across the country fueled Harrison's momentum with tons of donations. Jamie Harrison raised almost $110 million, and Lindsey Graham could muster only $70 million. And fundraising is important because that allows a candidate to buy a lot of advertising. And the advertising that Jamie Harrison was running in South Carolina was compelling. At a moment when everybody was at home and able to watch television advertisements, at a moment when the entire state was suffering from the pandemic and its economic consequences. What were the ads like? Do you remember any specific ones? There are a couple of different ads that really landed. One ad focused on a comment that Lindsey Graham had made after there was a debate about the $600 in unemployment insurance that the federal government was providing as a supplement. And Lindsey Graham had said that Congress would renew that extra $600 over our dead bodies. He felt that that was way too much money and it was wrong. He's attacking us, opposing help for South Carolinians, refusing to extend the COVID unemployment benefits, saying... Over our dead bodies, this will get reauthorized. And even some of Graham's supporters who I talked with were appalled by that statement because they said, well, he doesn't need the extra $600 because Lindsey Graham is making that big salary in Washington. But what about me? When you spoke with Graham, how did he respond to these things? Lindsey Graham has been in politics for a long time, and he understands that this is a tough business. What really upset Lindsey Graham was the amount of money Jamie Harrison was raising. At one point, Lindsey Graham got on Fox News when you would think Lindsey Graham would be talking policy or talking rhetoric. All of a sudden, Lindsey Graham starts asking for money. LindseyGraham.com, help us all. We need your help. He said, help me, help me. They're killing me with money. And that was where Lindsey Graham felt he was taking the biggest hits. It seemed like Graham might be in trouble, until it didn't. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. 
How did this race in South Carolina turn out? This race in South Carolina was a blowout for Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham won this race by more than 10 percentage points. And going into his race, he had recovered to the point that he was ahead by, on average, about six points. So this was a blowout for Lindsey Graham. Underfunded, under attack, he wins easily. And to all the liberals in California and New York, you wasted a lot of money. This is the worst return on investment in the history of American politics. So of the 12 races that you identified earlier where Democrats thought they could pick up seats, like Lindsey Graham's, how'd those races turn out? As we speak now, Democrats have flipped only two of them into their column, Arizona and Colorado, and Republicans have flipped only one of them into their column. So we are at a point of near stasis. Almost nothing has changed. And as of now, it looks like Senate Republicans have a very good chance at being in the majority next year. Were Republicans surprised by this? Republicans were surprised by this. Going into the Tuesday election, Republicans had already started trying to assign blame so that they would not be the ones taking the blame for the losses. And you started to see Republicans trying to blame Donald Trump for dragging down their races. And so when the victories started piling up on Tuesday, Republicans had a lesson to take away, too. And what's that lesson? The lesson is, number one, Donald Trump's coalition is more durable than people thought. Democrats had miscalculated in thinking Donald Trump was going to drag candidates down. Democrats had miscalculated in their assessment that the coronavirus pandemic was going to be central to election outcomes. How have Democrats you've spoken with reacted to these losses? Democrats have used words like disappointed, numb, crushing. And while they're trying to put a good public face on the outcome and trying to figure out what can come of it, Democrats are going to be contemplative. But especially on the House side, there is going to be a big fight and a lot of arrows aimed at Nancy Pelosi. And on the Senate side, also criticism of Chuck Schumer, who, besides being the Senate Democrats' top leader, is widely thought to be the person behind recruiting all of the Senate Democrats who lost these races. Right. So for all of this money, it seems like the return on investment for Democrats was really low. The return on investment for Democrats was incredibly low. Democrats' playbook was all wrong. Democrats' playbook did not land. And maybe it couldn't have anyway because Democrats were competing in Republican areas that were always going to be hard to get. But having that bad foundation had spillover effects, I think, also, and led Democrats to make bad decisions that made their task even harder. What do you mean by that? I think that Democrats started to get excited about how many seats they could possibly gain and how many avenues they had to gain those seats. And so Democrats became very loud and public about some of their ambitions to do things like end the legislative filibuster so that Democrats could pass bills on a simple majority. 
Democrats started to get very loud about perhaps wanting to add seats to the Supreme Court, about giving Senate seats to the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. And by attaching specific examples, that had a way of personalizing and clarifying the issues for Republican voters. And so people who might not have been inclined to come out and vote for a Republican Senate perhaps were more motivated to turn out at the polls. The picture of the next Senate is not final. Votes are still being counted in a few key Senate races. Which party gains control could come down to one state. Georgia is going to be crucial. Right now, we have at least one race, that of Senator Kelly Loeffler, that is going to a runoff on January 5th. And as we speak, Senator David Perdue has 50% of the vote. So he is right at the point of having so little support that that race will go to a runoff in January as well. So right now, there are four outstanding races, and the assumption is that Republicans keep their seats in Alaska and North Carolina, which would put us at a 49 to 49 Senate. And so Democrats would have to flip both of those seats in order to net the number they would need to have a majority. And that's just seen as really, really hard. But as of right now, it is unclear which party has won the Senate. Correct. As of now, it is unclear which party has won the Senate. There's a sense it will tip Republicans' way. That's all for today, Thursday, November 5th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.